good evening, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us. This is Dave. This is Sherry. And we're doing a Bible study, an ongoing Bible study on Don't Limit God from Andrew Womack. And uh, anyway, thank you for joining us. If you're joining us, feel free to comment below who you are, where you're from. Uh, if you have any prayer requests, feel free to mention those as well. Uh, if you have any comments or questions or just dialogue uh, with us, uh, hopefully pertaining to the discussion tonight, feel free to do that below as well. Uh, our website, just so you know, is lighthousediscipleship.org. Uh, we have the previous Bible studies uh, recorded uh, for your review if you like to, as well as other resources as far as our Bible class or our Sunday morning messages and whatnot. So anyway, thank you for joining us. Uh, this is again, this is Dave and Sherry on uh, our Bible study, Don't Limit God. And uh, Sherry will be narrating for us uh, uh, this evening, as she usually does. And uh, we're, we're talking about don't, don't Limit God, and we are in the third chapter here, I believe, or maybe the fourth one, on the fear of man. And, uh, and so we're going to be studying that the, the, again this evening. So once Sherry's dialed in here, we're going to go ahead and get started, and, uh, uh, and she'll be narrating the, the lesson for us, and we'll, then we'll comment. All right. The Israelites limited God. And they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron, where Ahiman, Sashai, and Talmai, the children of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came unto the brook of Eshcol, and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bare it between two upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after forty days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the children of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, and said, We came unto the land whither thou sent us, sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwelt in the land, and the cities were walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwelt in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Numbers 13, 22-33 God wanted the Israelites to enter into the promised land, a land that floweth with milk and honey. It was lush, 
A group, a cluster of grapes was so big it had to be placed on a pole and carried between two men. Can you imagine a cluster of grapes that large? They, these weren't like the grapes we have today. These grapes were huge. That's how blessed this land was. But the Israelites focused their attention on the wrong thing. They looked at the size of the inhabitants rather than the land that God told them to possess. They saw the land, the people as giants and themselves as grasshoppers. But it didn't, doesn't matter how other people see us, it matters how God sees us. And we need to see ourselves as God sees us. Amen. Amen. So sorry for that little distraction there while Sherry was reading. But again, thank you for joining us. This is David Sherry Everett. And we're going through our study, Don't Let Me God, along with Andrew Womack. And we're studying in our uh, study here, we're still in the chapter titled The Fear of Man. And the Bible talks about how the fear of man is a snare, it's a trap. And this particular section that uh, Sherry just read from Numbers chapter 13 is talking about how Israel limited God. And Israel limited God in their own thinking. They had the fear of man. They saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own sight. I forget exactly uh, where it says here. Uh, sorry, I was fully paying attention, but and it says, in their own sight, they saw themselves as grasshoppers, and we were unable to, uh, anyway, sorry. They, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. They, they didn't see themselves, in other words, they didn't see themselves the way God saw them. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. That doesn't necessarily mean the enemy saw them as grasshoppers. That doesn't mean God saw them as grasshoppers. But they're in, in their own minds, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. You know, uh, we can. I think each of us can apply that in our own lives, depending on how we see ourselves. But it's important that we see ourselves how we God sees us. Do we see as ourselves as the righteousness of God? Do we see ourselves as anointed? Do we see ourselves as able ministers in the new covenant? Do we see ourselves healed? Do we see ourselves blessed? Uh, we need to see ourselves the way God sees us. We need to see ourselves the way the Word of God says that we are. That's healthy. Uh, you know, uh, it's arrogance, it's pride, it's selfishness to see ourselves different than the way the Word of God sees us. We don't want to elevate ourselves above the Word of God, but we also don't want to, uh, uh, to see ourselves different than God sees us. <coughs> the Bible says in Psalm of Solomon, in Psalm of Psalms, that, uh, he says, you are all fair, my beloved, there's no spot in you. We need to see ourselves as that way. Because in Jesus, there is no spot in us. We are the righteous God. We are the apple of his eye. We are his beloved. And uh, the Bible says in First John chapter 3, verse 2, that we will be like him when we see him as he is. The focus is not us. The focus is how we see him. And we should see ourselves as God sees us. God has redeemed us. God has made us righteous and holy. I'm not saying everything that we do is wrong, right? But usually when we do something wrong, because our focus is on, not on Him, our focus is on us. We're trying to do it in our own lives. In this uh, passage we read, that they, the Israelites limited God because they saw themselves as grasshoppers. So, and it, and, I mean, this image of themselves was so catastrophic that, it, that it, the, the, the writer of Hebrews calls it rebellion. <laughs> rebellion, uh, I mean, and if you study rebellion out in the book of Leviticus, it calls it witchcraft. And, uh, but at the same point in time, you know, 
uh, it was rebellion. This rebellion, this seeing themselves as grasshoppers, is what the Bible calls in Hebrews as unbelief. And this unbelief uh, uh, is the sin of unbelief, is a singular sin of unbelief, not multiple sins. It was one single sin that kept the Israelites out of the promised land for 40 more years. One whole generation was because of the sin of unbelief, because they saw themselves as grasshoppers. And God called that rebellion. And God called that sin. To see ourselves, uh, the, uh, the Bible says, anything that's not a faith is sin. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. You know, uh, we're only righteous because of what, <coughs> what God has done. But because what God has done, if we receive Christ, we are born again and we are righteous. We are holy. And so it's important that we see ourselves the way God sees us. And so, um, anyway, you have any thoughts, comments? No. Um, again, when you look at all the, the heroes of faith and the different stories in the Bible of the different ones who God used, they all didn't see themselves very well. They all put themselves down from Gideon to Moses. Um, even Esther didn't think highly of herself. And we're not telling you to walk around in pride. But we are saying to, to look at yourselves how, how God does because God wants to use each one of us. And if he doesn't think highly for us, if he didn't think we were valuable enough to send his son to the cross, uh, that would be one thing. But he does see us as valuable and he does want to use us. And if he sent Jesus to the cross for us, we and, and he establishes uh, us in, in what he has called us to do. It also uh, says throughout the word of God how, how important and holy and true the word of God is. And if we're listening to any other voice than God's voice, his word, you know, we really need to think about that and, and change that. He says we're more than conquerors. He says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You know, um, I, I get listening to the lies of the enemy. Both Dave and I have. We've, we've listened uh, to the lies of the enemy about how worthless we are and how stupid and, and anything else that the enemy tries to get in our heads. And then we walk around in, in despair and... Uh, we're down on ourselves and hard on ourselves, and we get distracted from what God's called us to do. But when we listen to God's word and realize how much it meant for Jesus to go to the cross for us, for the joy set before him, he went to the cross, just to have us in the family of God, that doesn't give me a sense of pride. That gives me a sense of awe and wonder that, that God would do that for us. And then I am more than willing to do whatever God's called me to do. So, uh, anyway, again, you know, it's important that we see ourselves the way God sees us. If you see yourself the way God sees you, that's not pride. Anything outside of that is pride. Whether it be you see yourselves better than God says you are, or you see yourselves worse than uh, God says you are. Both of those are pride. Both of those are self-centeredness. But when we, when we see ourselves the way God sees us, and we're not boasting in what we have done and who we are, 
but we're boasting in what he's made us to be in Christ Jesus. That is humility. That's humility. And the Bible says when we humble ourselves in his sight, he will exalt us. There's a verse in uh, Psalm 80, 89, I think it's verse 17 or 16, but it says that uh, his righteousness will exalt us. When we are right before God, when we are uh, in right standing before God, that will exalt us. It's not us exalting. We don't need to exalt ourselves. His, his righteousness, his, he, he will exalt us. And the only exaltation we even need is so that we can be effective in reaching people, in blessing people, in ministering to people. Outside of that, we don't need any exaltation. We're, and any exaltation that is focused on us is to bring glory and honor and, and to magnify Him. And so, when we look at ourselves lower than we should, we're not magnifying God. That, that testimony, that, that, that focus, that, that uh, uh, declaration of ourselves is, that's lo more lowly than God says, it doesn't glorify Him. It doesn't magnify Him. Uh, at the same point in time, when we're arrogant and, uh, and full of pride, uh, that doesn't magnify Him either. When we see ourselves the way God sees us, and it's healthy, it's whole, it's right, it's biblical, that magnifies God because He gets all the glory. And uh, God is able to work in us and through us instead of us working absent of Him. See, when we do anything absent of God, when we do things in our own strength, our own ability, our own wisdom, our own reasoning, being wise in our own eyes, James calls that earthly. He calls it sensual. He calls it demonic. Uh, and I, mean, uh, and I, I, I could spend some time explaining that. But, uh, uh, you know, the, the Bible says when we're naturally minded, it's death. When we're spiritually minded, it's life and peace. But it's good to see ourselves the way God sees us. David, when he came on the scene of Goliath, he saw himself like God saw him. He saw himself in a covenant relationship with God. And, and he's like, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he should uh, defy the armies of the living God? His brother Eliab saw he was just haughty and cocky. But, and, and that's how it will appear to other religious people. That's how it will appear to sometimes even the world. But when we are establishing who God says we are, in a covenant relationship with God, it will appear to other people as being cocky and haughty. But, but, uh, but it's not. Actually, David on the scene of Goliath was the most humble person on that, on that scene. See, insecurity is pride at the core. It's a false pride, but it's pride. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's insecure, it's self-centered, it's self-focused. I can't do this because I can't do it. David wasn't focused on Goliath because of what he could do. He was focused on what God could do in and through him because of his covenant relationship God has with him. That's, that's healthy. See, pride, insecurity will limit God. It's, it's unbelief. But, but faith, trust, reliance on God is trusting what God can do in and through you. Despite the situation, despite the Goliath, despite COVID, despite what's going on in our world today. 
You know, Paul, the apostles and whatnot, Jesus were able to do miraculous things despite the Roman culture that they lived in. That was very wicked and moral and debauchery of all kinds. They were able to do things with all the lies and, and discord that was going on. God can do things in and through you despite the circumstances, despite this generation. You know, all these things that are going on in the world, this is not catching God by surprise. As evil, as, as, as horrid as it is. I mean, Jesus, John, Paul, James, Peter, all prophesied that these things would happen. They didn't catch God by surprise. God said it would happen. The same way that God told the Israelites, there's going to be giants in the land. He told them in the book of Numbers that there were going to be giants. He told them that there were going to be giants. He warned them. Yet, when it, when, it, when it finally happened, when that generation finally rose and, and came on the scene, they, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. But God told them there were going to be giants. God told them all these different things. But he told them to trust him. He told them to trust his word. But they trust what they saw versus what God said. And we do the same thing. We trust the circumstances. We trust what's going on in politics. We trust what's going on in our world. I believe we need to be involved in, 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 our, in our society with certain things. Some of the politics are in place because we've been so silent. We've been so uh, complacent that some of the laws have even come into effect. And some of the leaders have been voted into to policy has been because of our own ignorance. I'm not going to, I'm going to get off the pol politics train. But, but we need to trust God. And despite how wicked and horrid things are, despite COVID, we have a God that, it, that we, we, we don't live by the circumstances. The circumstances, uh, we, in other words, let me say, rephrase this. We don't let the circumstances govern our lives. We govern the circumstances. Turn with me real quick. I just want to piggyback on this uh, to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 6. And it says, Unto us a child is born. Unto who? Us. Who's us? You and me. Us. You and us. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government, the government, there's a, there's a definite article, of the government will be upon his shoulders. The government is on Jesus' shoulders. And Jesus, this child, this son, is given to us. And his name shall be called one for Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government. Not only is this child the Son whose government is on His shoulder given to us, but this child, the Son who is given to us, the, the government on His shoulders shall increase. Of the increase and... <coughs> excuse me. Of the increase of His government and peace... There will be no end. I don't care what society is doing to the church today. The Bible says 
that the increase of his government, there will be no end. No generation, no society, no socialism can vote the government of God out. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And you can be looking at society today, you can look at the church today uh, at large, and you can say, well, I don't see that going on. I see uh, society, socialism, and other things going on that seem to be ruling today. But that's not what the Word of God says. And when David came on the scene of Goliath, it looked like Goliath was ruling today. But David knew his covenant relationship with God. And he said, and he, he came charging at Goliath, not in his own pride, not in his own arrogance, but in the name of the Lord. And despite what's going on in our world today, the Bible says we are the head and not the tail. We are above, not beneath. We are the children of God. We are the people of God. And we will be like him when we see him as he is. First John 3, 2. And we can be like Jesus. We, Jesus said we can do greater things than he even did because he goes to the Father. Jesus went to the Father. What does that mean? That, well, first of all, it says in Isaiah 55 verse 11 that his word will not return void. The word of God is not the ink. The word of God is a person. His name is Jesus. And Jesus came to die that we may live. And Jesus went back to the Father because he fulfilled filled with Jesus, God had him come to do. Jesus, the living word, came to die that we could live. This son, this child was born unto us, this, that the government could be upon his shoulder. And so Jesus returned to the Father because he finished the work. And when Jesus finished the work, he told us in John 14, 15, and 16 that he is going to rescind us the Holy Spirit. And that's it's in this context that Jesus made the statement, John 14, uh, verses 14 to 16, I, think, I believe the verses are, they said that we will do greater works indeed because he goes to the Father. No other age since Jesus and now has ever, actually no other age since, since Adam till now has ever experienced the finished work of the cross and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the finished work of the cross at our disposal. The government is upon his shoulders. And he is our mighty counselor. Uh, let me go back up here. He is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. The government is upon his shoulders, and the government is increasing. God has put all things underneath his feet and given this authority to the church, you and me. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God by us. All the promises of God are, are in Christ. Amen. They are in Christ. Uh, um, what's the word I want to give for? Amen. They, 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 they are yes and amen in Christ. To the glory of God by us. We miss that last part. By us or through us, depending on what translation you read. God works through his church. God, even in the Old Testament, God has always worked through people. Moses, Noah, uh, uh, Joseph, Daniel, David, 
God has always, New Testament, God has worked through Paul, Peter, Luke, John, all these different people. God has always worked through people. God has always worked through his temple that he has anointed by his blood so that he could dwell. He redeemed us back to God that we could be kings and priests unto him. That we could rule the earth. It says in Revelation 5, 9 and 10. God has redeemed us by his blood so that we can rule as a king and priest, that we can bring everybody to the kingdom that chooses to come. God has filled us with the Spirit. The Spirit of God has anointed us that we can heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. We limit God when we don't trust his word. We limit God when we don't have a relationship with Him. We limit God when we don't see ourselves the way God sees us because God says that we are His beloved. God says we are without spot and without wrinkle. God says we are the righteous God of Christ Jesus. God says He has removed our sin as far as the east and the west. God says that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. God says we are His beloved. God says we're the head and not the tail. God says who we are. And we limit God when we see ourselves as poor as a church mouse. We limit God when we, we are so wrapped in sin and lust and, and debauchery of all kinds and whatever the case may be. We limit God when we, we, we play it safe and hide in that corner instead of doing what God calls us to do and be who God calls us to be. Maybe God kind of, kind of called you to be a missionary or a pastor or evangelist, but you can encourage those who God has put on your life. You can encourage your family. You can bless those in your life. You can insert, be an encouragement. I mentioned this before in weeks past, but you know, when, Mo, when Israel crossed, when crossed the Jordan, I mean crossed the Red Sea, and the first battle they had, Joshua was fighting the battle, but as Moses raised his hands, Joshua was winning. When his hands went down, Joshua was losing. Joshua represents the whole armies of Israel. But there was tires where, times where even Moses got tired. But it was Aaron and her who lifted up Moses' hands. To me, Joshua wasn't just the hero of the day. And Moses wasn't just the hero of the day. Aaron and her were the heroes of the day. Because if Aaron and Hur hadn't lifted Moses' hands so that Joshua could win the battle, the, the nation of Israel would have lost. And, it and, 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 and so maybe your job is not just to be a Joshua, or your job is not to be a Moses, your job is just to be a Hur. Hur being H-U-R, not H-E-R, even though it's okay whether you're a he or a her. <laughs> it just, that, but maybe your job is just to lift up your pastor. Now lift up a minister like Andrew Womack or, 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 or someone else who's preaching the gospel. Because they, there are times where their hands get tired. There's times where they're going through the grinder, so to speak. We've been through the grinder. And you know, you know, besides the Lord, besides His Word, besides the Holy Spirit, you know who else God's used? God has used people just like some of you who are even listening to keep our hands up so we can do what God's called us to do. We've needed people like that. I can't tell you how much we needed that. Yes, our dependency is on God. Yes, our dependency is on the Holy Spirit. Yes, our dependency is on His Word. But God has made us a body of Christ. God has made us a family to spur one another on to good deeds. And even ourselves get tired. There's been some times when we are, and when we are tired, we're losing the battle. And sometimes we're losing the battle for other people who depend on us to a certain, in, their, in the right respect. 
to be a minister, to be a pastor, to, to help them, encourage them. But there's times when we can't do our job as pastors and encourage people and preach the gospel that God has called to because our hands are tired. And this is not an advertisement. This is not whatever. Uh, and, done, and, and there's different ways. People have supported us financially. Some people have supported us with prayer and encouragement and friendship. And I'm just using us as an example. I'm not trying to advertise it. I'm not trying to, to promote something. Uh, every, but every pastor out there needs this. Every, not just every pastor, but I see you as able minister. The Bible says that we are all able ministers of the new covenant. It says that in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. And we are, I see you as an able minister. And my job as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. My job is to equip you to edify one another. My job is to equip you so you can call your family and your friends and other people in your life, even your enemies, and be an encouragement and to edify. To, the word edify means to build up. My job is to equip you so you can edify one another. Everyone needs to be edified. Including pastors and teachers. Including Joseph Prince and, and, and Andrew Womax. We all need to be encouraged. We all need to be edified. Everyone needs, anyone who thinks they don't need to be edified is a fool. They're lost. That's pride. If you think you don't need to be edified, that's pride. That's focusing. You think you are your, your own encouragement. Yes, we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Yes, we need to, walk, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But if you're going to finish the first, finish the first. For it's God who's at will and you and will and do of his good pleasure. I think that's Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Yes, we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who's at work in you to work and will and do of his good pleasure. But I can give you over a hundred scriptures how we are to bear one another's burdens. We are to encourage one, one another. For this is the will of God. This is the, all the laws hinder on this. Paul calls it the royal law of love. We we love because he first loved us. Anyway, I I can I, I didn't even know I was gonna say all that. So anything you want to say? No, just need to remind us all um, a quote that that actually I got from Dave's message this morning. Dave reminded us we need to have a victor mentality, not a victim mentality. I know we've all gone through a lot of horrible stuff. Um, but that's not who God sees us. God's, God sees us as more than conquerors. Jesus conquered at the cross so that we could benefit from that. And we do need to see us, ourselves, yourselves, as how God sees us. That's the only opinion that matters, is God's opinion regarding us. Amen, amen, thank you. Um... Let's go ahead and read some more. Uh, the next section is titled, God's Will De Delayed. Forty years later, Joshua sent new spies into Jericho. Rahab the harlot took the spies in and hid them from the king. Then she asked the spies to have mercy upon her and upon her household when the Israelites conquered Jericho. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon, and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we have heard these things, our hearts did melt, 
Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be, when the Lord hath given us this, the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head. And we will be guiltless, and whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went, and came unto the mountain, and abode there three days, until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned, and descended from the mountain, and passed over, and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Joshua 2, 9-24 Yes, they were great men of stature. Yes, they were giants. But this tells us what they were thinking. For forty years they had been fearful of the Israelites. Their hearts had melted and their strength had left them. If the Israelites had analyzed their situation properly, it would have been a cakewalk for them to go into the promised land. God would have given them total victory. But instead, they looked at the size of the people and saw them as giants. By focusing their attention on the natural, instead of obeying God, they delayed his plan from coming to pass for 40 years. They limited God. That's awesome. You know, I mean, uh, in a negative but also in a positive way, you know. <clears throat> 40 years, when, uh, the first generation that could have, was supposed to go to the promised land, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. But they didn't know, and they had no way of knowing, that the, the, the people of Jericho were f more afraid of the Israelites than the Israelites were afraid of these giants. Yes, they were giants. Yes, they were huge. Yes, they were men of great stature, but they were afraid. And they could have they had the victory if they would have trusted God and His Word 
instead of focusing their attention on the size and stature of these men. You know, we, get our, we limit God when we are wise in our own eyes. You know, I keep thinking of this verse, but go with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Verses 5 through 7. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. That's where we get in trouble. That's where we limit God. That's where we disobey or not disobey God by not we, we, we reason, we, we analyze we, the situation. We profile the situation in our own eyes, in our own wisdom, wisdom, instead of the Word of God, instead of what God's told us. But some of us also don't know what God says about the matter because we're not spending time with God. We're not spending time in His Word. I spoke this morning on this, and, and I, I need to do a series on this soon. But we need to spend more time praying in the Spirit. You know, maybe maybe you haven't learned about that or haven't been taught about this. But we need to, to, to build ourselves in our most holy faith. It said in, in the book of Jude, praying in the Holy Spirit. We need to build ourselves up. We need to do, you know, if we're not building ourselves up in our most holy faith, then the enemy is just going to take advantage of us. And we're going to be caught off guard. We need to be ready in season and out of season. You know, one of the things I, 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 I like about Andrew Womack is that he spends a lot of time praying in the Spirit every day. We marvel at his knowledge. We marvel at his faith. But we don't want to do what he does. We don't want to do what other people like Paul do. If we will spend time with that. You know, I know people in my life, they know every sport. and They, and they, and they, they know every baseball player, their stats and everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. But they know more about that than they do the Word of God. And I'm not saying not to put anyone down. Maybe someone's listening, that's the case, and that's not my point. But you get me? I don't know nothing about any athlete. I don't even know who's playing. I don't even know their names. I don't know anything. And that's not, I'm not saying that to gloat. I just, I just don't know. I, I, I used to. There used to be a time where I was really into the baseball and some, some basketball and football and, and some other sports that, a certain degree, but I just don't know anything, because I, I don't spend time with it, but I know scripture, I can quote scripture, scripture, I don't know all, all of them, I, I, you know, I have studied the memorized verses intentionally, and I'm okay with that, but I don't do that anymore, not because I'm an anti that, I just, I just know scripture because I spend a lot of time in the word of God, I just know it, and, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, and this goes with any vocation. I'm, I'm studying things right now, uh, vocationally, to, be, to become a loan signing agent as a, as a notary public. I'm studying things now to become uh, an apostille agent. Most of the people don't even know what that is. Uh, but I'm studying things right now so I become good at it. So I can become educated in it. And, you know, if I don't study it, if I don't use it, I'll lose it. You know, there's a lot of things in, in high school, geometry, algebra, I don't use it. I've lost it. Uh, you know, I can learn it again. I have no desire to, but I, I, I can learn it again. You know, but if I don't use, use it, I lose it. You know, I've never used 
algebra in all my life. I learned it. I had to, I had to learn it. But I've never learned it in any of the trades I've used. And so I've lost it. You know, I'm not anti-algebra, but uh, I don't use it. And so in that sense, it has no value to me. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not... Anyway, I, I just get off that kick. I'm just trying to use that as an example. But if, if you will spend time in the Word of God, if you will spend t- time praying in the Holy Spirit to build yourself up in your most holy faith, you'll, you'll grow closer. You'll grow fonder. You'll grow. You will grow. You water the seed. You will grow. You will grow. People will see a difference. There will be a change. You'll be stronger. You'll become more mature spiritually. I also don't believe that we're supposed to be all so spiritually minded we're no earthly good. We need to work. We need to be connected with people. We need to be in this world. We're of this world. We need to participate. We need to get involved. We need to do things in our in our country and our and different things. And so, uh, so I believe we need to be be practical. We need to, to be and there's some practical things that we can do. Uh, anyway, I'm getting off my track a little bit, but uh, uh, you know we limit God when we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. And we limit God when we come to a conclusion that God didn't come, and that, that's not true. These these Israelites, 40 years ago, thought they, they all they saw was their statue, statue and that they were giants. They had no knowledge that they were fearful. But they, just, they didn't even need that knowledge. They just needed to trust God. And they could have won the battle. Uh, you know, there's another verse I want to go to real quick to the book of Philemon. Philemon is right before the book of Hebrews. It's one chapter. And I'm going to go to verse 6. And I want to read this from the King James. Philemon, verse 6, says that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good work that's in you. Or which is in you, in Christ Jesus. I just love this verse. It says, the communication. Now, word communication is translated koinia. The koinia, the fellowship, the communication of your faith becomes effectual. As, and how do, how do you want your faith to be effectual? Do you want your faith to be effective? How does it become effective? When you acknowledge every good thing that is not just some good things, but every good thing that is in you, and I like to add the word already in you, in Christ Jesus. Every good thing that's in you, in Christ Jesus. It's not just you, it's Christ Jesus, but Christ Jesus is in you. And if Christ Jesus is in you, every good thing is in you. Wisdom, strength, healing, wholeness, the words that say wisdom. You can learn out, you can learn algebra. You can learn whatever you need to learn better, faster, brighter, and retain it better by the Holy Spirit who's in you. You know, there have been times in the past, back in high school, I didn't know the answer to the test. I prayed in tongues and got the interpretation. <laughs> I got it right. So, you know, it works. And so the Holy Spirit knows. And, uh, and I'm not trying to take away from study. I'm not trying to take from doing your homework type thing. That's not my point at all. But sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes on some tests, I didn't know if it was this way or that way because of how they worded the, the question. Some, some, some tests, they don't, they're not trying to seek your knowledge. They're trying to see if you can play trivia. And so uh, it's, uh, how it's worded, and I understand the reasons for that. Um, but uh, sometimes I just didn't, 
I just needed some clarity, and I prayed in the Holy Spirit, and I just felt like I got the right answer from, from doing so, and I did. And so, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit works. Uh, and so, there was one time, this was a couple of years ago, I think, but uh, I lost my cell phone. I was driving back home from running some errands, and I realized, you know what, I don't have my cell phone. I had it when I started, I don't have it now. Uh, Houston, we have a problem. And, uh, and so I prayed in the Spirit, and, uh, and God told me where my cell phone was. I didn't necessarily like the answer of where He told me it was, but uh, here it was. And He told me it was in the middle of an intersection, of a busy intersection. And what had happened is uh, uh, the, the vehicle I was driving had run out of gas, and I had to push it over. Uh, and the reason it was out of gas, it was a vehicle I was borrowing, but the gas gauge didn't work anymore. So it wasn't totally my fault. But I, I always put gas in this vehicle because I never knew where it was. And, uh, and so, but anyway, I had run out of gas in the middle of an intersection. It was right, right next to a gas station, so I had to, to push it and, and, and let it roll into that gas station. I, and that was really not a problem. It was embarrassing and, and inconvenient, yes, and whatnot. It was actually a, a very warm day, and this all happened. But anyway, and uh, everything was safe, but... And the Lord reminded me when I prayed in the Spirit that when I had gotten out of the vehicle to push to push into the gas station, that's when my, I lost my phone. <laughs> and so I drove all the way back there, and I don't know what's more embarrassing, running out of gas in the middle of an intersection, or stopping in the middle of an intersection to pick up your phone. I mean, that doesn't happen every day. And so there it was. It was a little warm, because like I said, it was a warm day. But it wasn't cracked, it was still, it was still running, and I had all these texts from my wife, where are you? And, uh, and I had to answer those texts, and you'll never believe it if I told you. Uh, and so anyway, it just, but the Holy Spirit will tell you. I've had the Holy Spirit tell me where I left my keys. I've had the Holy Spirit tell me where, uh, where, where my, my hat was, it was right on top of my head. You know, I just there's different times where, you know, the Lord just tells you I mean you can get all kinds of wisdom and direction from God. But spending time with God and letting him direct you, praying in the spirit, and letting him tell you where what to go, what to do. Uh, you know, and so uh, anyway, we emphasize such a relationship with God and we need to do that. Anyway, uh, we need to have a healthy perception of who we are. We need to see ourselves and our situation. See, I see two points in this lesson so far. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. But we also need to see our situation the way God sees our situation. David saw the situation the way God saw it. Not the way the, 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 the armies of Israel were seeing it. Not the way King Saul was seeing it. The, this second generation saw the promised land and saw... These giants away, God. Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit, they said. And they saw the situation different than the majority. See, the majority is not always right. Sometimes it's the minority that's right. You know, we have a board, and sometimes I told our board that, that, that you know, your I, I, I embrace your opinions. Because your opinion may be different than mine. It might be different than the majority. But your opinion might be the right opinion. It might be the right answer. And so, uh, no, we're good. Okay. So, hopefully, you're still on. Okay. I'm sorry. I just want to make sure you were still on. I think Sherry's just going to double check it real quick.
Yeah, we're, we're still good. Okay. Our computer was showing us that maybe we lost the connection. So, anyway, um, we're still here. So, anyway, uh, so, well, once we get back on gear here, we're going to keep reading here. The next section is called Uncircumcised Philistine. Uh, I didn't know that was in here. That's going to kind of piggyback on some things I just shared. So, <coughs> so anyway, hope you still join us as we're uh, going through that book. Uh, don't let me God talking about the fear of man. Let's contrast this with 1 Samuel 17, where David went out to face Goliath. While the rest of the mighty men were all hiding behind rocks because they were afraid of the giant, David looked at Goliath and said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? 1 Samuel 17, 26. David was talking about the covenant of circumcision. Goliath was not an Israelite. He was not one of God's covenant people. This would be equivalent to us saying, who is this person who doesn't even have a covenant with God and isn't one of God's people to stand against those who are, who are God's people? This is the same attitude we ought to have when unbelievers criticize us. It doesn't matter whether, whether they are family members, friends, co-workers, or persons in positions of authority. If they don't know God, then our opinion of God is better than their opinion of God. After all, their opinion is sending them to hell. If we are born again and have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are the exception today. When we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have a revelation of God and an access to Him that a lot of Christians don't have. If we are born again and Spirit-filled, we are an elite group already. Why in the world would we elevate someone else's opinion and put that kind of authority upon someone who doesn't even have a relationship with God? I mean, I, this, this really just piggybacks everything we've just been talking about in so many ways. But, uh, you know, if we're born again, and those of us who are following our, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we do teach, yes. And we have information on our website. I'm going to probably be teaching on this a little bit later and uh, pretty soon um, on Sunday mornings. But anyway, it just, you know, if we, if we have a relationship with God, let's just make it simple. If we have a relationship with God, especially uh, knowing who we are in Christ and having the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and our relationship with God is just mature, it's good, it's lively, it's healthy, then we are, like, Andrew said we're an elite group. And why would we put the opinion of other people, the opinion of other people about God, the opinion of other people about the Word of God, the opinion of other people about us, why would we elevate people's opinion over the Word of God when we have a relationship with God and some of those people who have an opinion don't even have a relationship with God? I'm not putting down other people. But even... But, if, but why would we elevate people's opinion above God, first of all, but especially people's opinion who don't have a relationship with God, and we do. You know, in one sense of the word, we should not care what other people's opinion are of us in, in the situation what God says. If, especially if they're not believers, especially, and also if they're not spirit-filled, to a certain level, we, uh, and I'm not putting down those who are not spirit-filled. That's not my point. 
But my point is, we need to, my, my point is, we need to elevate God's word and what the, His Spirit is saying to us. If we're building ourselves in our most holy faith, according to Jude, praying in the Holy Spirit, we should value that more than the, the opinion of the world, and more than the opinion of other people who don't have that relationship, who don't have that connection. And, 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 and so uh, I'm, I, what I'm, I'm not trying to put people down. What I'm trying to do is magnify having a relationship with God, praying in the Spirit, spending time in His Word, not religiously. Don't just do it out of religion. Don't just do it out of duty. Do it because it's a relationship. If in this relationship I did it just out of duty, it would show. And it will not go well. It will not end well. But if I do it meaningfully, if I do it because I want to, if I do it because uh, relationally, not out of duty, we will have a beautiful marriage or a beautiful relationship. Whatever job you're doing, do it because you want to, not just out of duty. Enjoy it. Maybe you don't enjoy your job. I understand I've had jobs I don't enjoy. But while you're there, that is your field. Bless it. Bless that field. Bless that business. Bless that department or, or whatever. Bless it. Because that's your field. Don't curse it. Don't speak negative of it. That's your field. If you don't want to bless that field, get out of that field and get into another field. But bless it while you're there. And while you're there, like Joseph, like Daniel, that, I mean, Joseph was, was the, the best jailer. I mean, he didn't want to be there. But while he's there, he might as well make the best of it. I mean, I think it's best being the best jailer than, than the worst jailer when you don't even have a Jeller is the wrong term, but the, the being being uh, inmate is probably a better word. He wasn't the jailer, but he was in charge within the jail system. But he didn't want to be there. But while he's there, he might as well make the best of it. You know, it's better than making the worst of it. You know, it's better than 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 you know. Anyway, I gotta get off this uh, this track. Um, but I'm here. Magnify God's opinion, not other people's. And more importantly, magnify, I'm trying to magnify you having a relationship with God. You building yourself in your most holy faith. You having a relationship, study yourself. Be uh, uh, one who's, who, who's, who can rightly divide the word of truth. All scripture is powerful for men, for, for, for uh, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's only one thing that's going to equip you, and that's a relationship with God. And, and, and the Holy Spirit who will guide you. The Spirit of truth who will bring things to your remembrance. Jesus did not start his ministry until he received the Holy Spirit. Jesus forbid his disciples after he ascended, as he was before he was ascended, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power. But my God, we have no business doing ministry. We can't do ministry successfully without the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit's help. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon us, and He has anointed us to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. God has anointed us. We're all able ministers. 
And like I said a minute ago, no other age from, from Adam till now has ever experienced the, the finished work of the cross and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But we have. And we have the finished work of the cross. Jesus sat at the right hand of God and, and we have the Holy Spirit at our disposal. And it's in that context that Jesus said, greater works that you shall do than these. Because I go to the Father. Jesus was going to the Father because He, the Word of God, had finished what the Father had sent Him to do. He was going to the cross. He, he was going to the cross. He was finishing what God had told Him to do. And He also, in context, when He said that statement in John 14, in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit that was coming. And it's also in that same context that Jesus says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me and let my word abide in you. We need to abide in him. You know, it goes back to a verse that we talked about many times before. Go with me real quick to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Verses 6 and 7 it says, As ye therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Being rooted, built up in him, established in the faith. Not just a faith, but the faith. There's a definite article. As ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. There's so much here, I'm not going to reteach all of this right now. But the same way you receive Christ is the same way you're supposed to walk in him. What does that walk look like? Well, verse 6 ends with the colon in the King James. And that colon means that he's going to expound on what this walking in him looks like. It's being rooted and built up in Him. Established in the faith. The communication of your faith. Be as effectual as your knowledge every good work that's in you in Christ Jesus. Philemon 1, six, what I just read. Abounding therein. We can abound, not just exist, but abound therein with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a great way for your faith to be activated. You know, it's hard to not trust God... When you're being thankful. Thankful is a ticket to get your focus off what's wrong and get your focus on what's right. To get your focus off the problem and get your focus on God. That's how you can get your faith united. Because you're, not, you're acknowledging every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. It's Thanksgiving. But when you're murmuring and complaining. When you're griping and complaining. When you're, when you're downcast, when you're, when you're complaining about the situation, you're not thankful. And when you're not thankful, when you are murmuring complaining, you are giving more credibility to the, the, the circumstance that's wrong, or the person who's wronged you, than you are about God changing the situation. I don't want to magnify what's wrong. I don't want to magnify what's out of place. I want to magnify what God's going to do about the situation. For all the promises of God are yes in Him and amen to the glory of God by us. And when we are focused on His promises that bring Him glory, instead of all the evil and all the other things going on where everything's wrong, that doesn't bring Him glory. We have it in reverse. I hope I'm making sense of what I'm trying to say. You got something? You were turning to a scripture. No, I just, I, how my mind went off uh, listening to Dave. You know, in, in John, um, in John chapter 6, there's a, there's a, uh, some verses where it says, 
that um, many of, of the disciples uh, went back and walked with Jesus no more. And Jesus had actually addressed the, the 12 disciples and asked, um, do you want to go away too? And, and Peter, Peter's reply was, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter and the twelve disciples, they, they knew there was no one else to go to. They knew who Jesus was. And, you know, we've ta been talking about knowing who you are in Christ, knowing the Word of God. Um, but we, we also need to know who God is. And that's, you know, the Israelites, they, they, they lost that. They saw the giants in the land, and that's what they believed. They, they believed the giants over the word of God. You know, David conquered Goliath by knowing who he was in Christ, but also knowing who his God is. And, you know, that's what I'm hearing in, in Peter's words. And we can wallow in whatever we're going through. And, and believe me, I, I understand that, that some of the things that people go through are absolutely horrible. But there's one thing that I can count on, even through all of that, and that all may be true, is that Jesus is the Word of God come alive. He is the living Word of God, and we are to believe His Word over anything else, and know who He is, know who we are, and, and know the, the, the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and the importance of this this awesome God who we serve, that's whose opinion matters. You know, when she read the verse from uh, what Peter was saying, only you have the words of eternal life, it just sparked in my mind, so the verse I used this morning in my message was John seventeen three. this is eternal life, that you may know, that they may know you, the one, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not going to heaven. Eternal life is knowing God and is knowing Jesus. Those are the words of eternal life. Only Jesus has the words of eternal life. Only his words have the words of eternal life. And uh, we can't find that anywhere else. We can't find that in someone's opinion. We can only find that in the word knowing him. In eternal life, we can experience eternal life now in having a relationship with God and a relationship with Jesus. Let's go ahead and read out this uh, uh, section. I want to be able to finish this section in our book before we close it out tonight. The godly will suffer persecution. Nobody can intimidate us without our consent or cooperation. Nobody can have influence over us unless we give it to them. If we are worried about what someone is going to say about us, it's because we have the fear of man instead of the fear of God. Or perhaps our fear of man is greater than our fear of God. When we let a fear of man determine what we do, it's actually an indication of a deficiency in us, not in them. It's not the people who criticize us who are the problem. We are the problem. If we throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the dog that yelps the loudest is the one who got hit. In the same way, when we take a stand for the Lord, the one who criticize, criticizes us the most is under the most conviction. 
People try to deal with conviction by tearing us down and discrediting us because if they can cause us to fall apart, they can then say, see, I was right. In court, if a witness has a damaging testimony, the lawyer will assault the witness's character. If the lawyer can make the, that witness appear to have a poor character, then their testimony will be dismissed. That's what persecution is all about. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds shall be reproved. John 3.20 If we take a moral stand on social issues, immoral people will criticize us. Our morality will condemn them. This doesn't mean that we condemn them. All people at a heart level know when they are wrong. They don't like the sense of guilt and condemnation. So when we stand up for the values they are up against, excuse me, when we stand up for the values they are against, they will attack us in an attempt to make themselves look good. They want to dim the light of others so it won't shine on their sin. That's the reason criticism comes. If we understand this, we would realize that being criticized and persecuted is actually a compliment. And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 If we aren't suffering persecution, we aren't living godly. If nobody says anything critical about us, we are not being <coughs> good Christians or ministering the word properly. Jesus said, Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept me saying, if they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. John 15, 20. In other words, if the master of the house received criticism, we will too. I've gotten to where <coughs> I just rest in God, knowing that he loves me. Then when criticism and persecution come, they will not detract or stop me from doing what God told me to do. I've got hundreds, maybe thousands, of blogs written about me on the internet saying <coughs> that I'm a terrible person. People say all kinds of things about me, but that isn't going to change me. Fear of man and fear of persecution paralyze a lot of people. Most people are so frail they are not willing to take persecution. This is indicative of not having a relationship with God. When they want the praises of man more than the praises of God, they limit God. There's a lot of this little section that we just read. That's the title, The Godly Will Suffer Persecution. And that's actually, again, from Timothy 3.12. And I like how Andrew just makes that comment. If we aren't suffering persecution, then we aren't, we aren't living godly. Especially in the day and age that we live in, with all the social issues whatnot. If you're not being persecuted for living godly, then, then you're not... Uh, if you're not being persecuted for living godly, then you're not living godly. You know, and, you know... Nobody likes persecution, and we dealt with that topic more last week. But uh, persecution hurts, and I'm not, I'm not advocating persecution. At the same point in time, I'm advocating godliness. And uh, if we desire to live, God, if the Bible is clear on this. If you desire to live persecution, you, I mean, if you desire to live godly, you will suffer persecution. And then persecution can come many shapes, sorts, forms, and sizes. It's not always something that's going to cause you to be a martyr or whatnot. But some people will reject you. Some people just scroll through Facebook and listen to some of the things I've said tonight, I'm sure. You know, so 
you know, again, it goes back to what we were saying a minute ago. If we need to prioritize what God says, not what man says. Uh, you know, um, on, on social issues, and I'm not going to go into a lot of specifics here, but I need to prioritize what God says. On some of the social issues, I mean, you're just not going to convince me on, on some of those. Yeah, my mind's made up. I'm going to do what God, I'm going to vote for, I'm going to believe in what God says. You know, I desire to live godly. Where does that desire to live godly come from? You know, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, that if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Our flesh sometimes, our natural flesh, sometimes desires ungodly things. But if you walk in the spirit, which I've been talking about tonight, you won't even love, you won't love, uh, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, um, you go back to what Cherry just quoted from, uh, Pete, uh, John, I think it was John or Luke, John, John regarding Peter, who says, who are we going to go to? Because only you have the words of eternal life. You know, if I if I have a relationship with God that's good, that's genuine, I'm building myself up in my most holy faith, I don't even have the desire to live ungodly. It's not even there. Uh, and so, uh, not that I have it all down in the flesh, in the natural, but in the, in, in, when I'm walking with God and I'm walking in a close relationship with God, I don't. I only have the desire to do what He wants to do. Uh, I don't have to fight these things in my flesh. And if people don't agree with me, if people don't agree with my morality, in one sense of the word, that's their problem. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just uh, I, I'm not here to please people. I'm here to please God. I'm not here to be politically correct. I'm here to be biblically correct. I, a lot, I, anyway, I'll, I'll get off here. So there's some things I can say. I'm not for political correctness. I'm for biblical correctness. And where is that going to even come from? It's going to come have, from having a relationship with God. I don't have to, I don't lose sleep over it. I don't waste time on some of these social issues. To me, it's, it's not gray. It's black and white. And, uh, and, 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 my, and the social issues to me are not the main focus. The main focus is Christ. The main focus is having a relationship with God. And if I have a relationship with God, I'm having a relationship with His Word, and I'm spending time in the Spirit. These issues, social issues are a no-brainer. And when it comes down to it, and my life is on the line, my freedom is on the line, I'm going to obey God and not man. I'm not going to revolt against government just to, 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 to make an issue. But I'm going to obey God. And I, I don't have a problem making a st taking a stand for what I believe is true. I have no problem with that. Because even if, I, even if I died taking a stand for God, I'm just going to go be with Jesus. I have nothing to lose. I have no fear of dying. No fear. I might have a fear of how I died. I don't want to be tortured. But I have no fear of dying. I want to, why I'm here, I am going to magnify my God, and uh, hopefully I can take other people with me in having, you know, even Paul when he's before King Agrippa. King Agrippa was like, "Are you trying to convert me?" And Paul says, "Yes, and all who follow you." Uh, I'm just paraphrasing that. 
You know, Paul, even when his life was on the line, he's on trial. He was not timid. Uh, we, you know, and actually persecution, like Andrew's saying, it, it actually gives me encouragement that I'm on the right track. I don't want to be persecuted because I'm, I'm doing a piece of stupid. I'm doing something foolish. I'm doing, and and that, 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 that's not, that's not godliness. That's pride. That's arrogance. That's religion. In many ways, but I, I just, uh, but I, I, you know, if I'm living, desiring to live godly, and I'm being persecuted for that, you know, so be it. So be it. You know, I don't, I don't have any issue over that. You know, because I don't value a man's opinion over God's. I don't have any value in it. Uh, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't hold any weight in my book. It, it doesn't mean anything to me. What people's opinion over God's, and uh, at the same point in time, you know, uh, I just, I just, I want to bring glory and honor to Him, and I don't have time for this, all this other junk that some people are just. Uh, it's not even worth a conversation. Some of these things, you know, that's that's another biblical point. I'm not going to even have time to go into, but it's just uh, you know, there's just some some conversations that Paul says we're just not supposed to entertain those conversations. They're just they're, they're pointless, and uh, and so I just not gonna even entertain those conversations. Somebody want to share? No, we just encourage you to don't limit God. Uh, believe who He says you are, and know Him, and His words of eternal life. And we just pray blessing over you guys um, as you go your week, and um, remember that you're the head and not the tail. Right. Well, we'll end with that. God bless you guys. We love you. Uh, we'll see you next week. If you have any prayer requests or anything we can do, feel free to reach us out. Uh, you can follow us on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. And uh, anyway, God bless you guys. Have a good night, good week, and we'll see you soon. Okay. Right.